Hello and welcome to the MIT Press Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Gondek. And in this special episode of the MIT Press Podcast, which is being produced in conjunction with Open Access Week, we're going to be talking to Gita Manaktala and Ellen Finney about the Strong Ideas book series of MIT Press. Gita Manaktala is editorial director of the MIT Press, and Ellen Finney is head of scholarly communications and collection strategy at the MIT Libraries. Stay tuned after the interview for more information about the show. Gita Manaktala and Ellen Finney, thanks for being on the MIT Press podcast today. Thank you. Great to be here. So what is the Strong Ideas book series and how did it start? Strong Ideas is a book series that started as a conversation with author David Weinberger. Uh, Weinberger is a leading thinker. He's an author of books about technology and its impact on different aspects of our lives. He has a lot of books of his own. Um, They include Everyday Chaos, which came out just this year. He was one of the co-authors of the... um, Clue Train Manifesto, which he co-authored in the late 1990s, Um, and he published other books, including Small Pieces Loosely Joined, which I think is a fantastic title. That's about the web, Everything is Miscellaneous, and Too Big to Know. He had a vision for the Strong Ideas series, which was to uh, create a place for really fantastic writers with fresh and provocative arguments about how digital technology is really changing pretty much every sector of our society. And that includes education, government, business, family life, social life. Um, And so that's what we came up with for the series. Um, We wanted to offer pretty short very opinionated books for general readers. Um, And we wanted to offer these readers the option of buying these books in bookstores or reading them for free online. So we are hosting open access editions of these books on PubPub, which is a multimedia authoring platform that was developed here at MIT. Ellen, you are part of the MIT Libraries. Uh, What actually is the relationship between the MIT Libraries and open access with the MIT Press? Well, that's a great question. I'm just delighted to have a chance to say a bit about this because I think what we've been doing has really been experimental and powerful with the press and the libraries working together to advance open access for scholarship. Uh, So uh, with this particular series and our work uh, with the press around making monographs open, uh, it, it came out of the process the library started a few years ago to systematically experiment with ways to use our collections dollars, our budget essentially, to make science and scholarship more open. So like pretty much all research libraries, the the budget put together for materials tended to be focused on things like journals, databases, and books that were bought for a particular campus, for a particular community, were closed to other people. Uh, And we were really interested in looking for ways that we could use our dollars, almost vote with our dollars for newer models that would mean that when we supported resources, they'd be available not just to institutions who can afford them, but broadly around the world to all interested readers. So one of the ways we decided to experiment was to put out a call for ideas, for proposals across the libraries and the press to say, you know, what, what do you think we should fund in, in advancing this idea of open access to scholarship? And the press, as I recall, jumped in pretty quickly. Uh, Gita jumped in very quickly with a proposal that we support this strong idea series, which they already had uh, deep in the planning process, so that that series could become open access. 
So we were delighted when this proposal came through and we looked at it in relation to many of the others. This was the one everybody was just all in on right away. We could see this series focused on these broad and varied impacts of the digital landscape and had significant important viewpoints that we felt deserved to reach a really broad, broadest possible audience, not just those who could afford to purchase the books who were sitting at an elite uh, campus and could access them on the shelves or through a bookstore. So, um, and what's really exciting is since funding this series as an experiment, the libraries have evolved a fuller partnership with the press for funding for more monographs to become open. And we have kind of operationalized this in a pilot way with a cycle a couple of times a year where we work very closely with the press on deciding which books to make open. And that's been really, I think, exciting and energizing for both, for both uh, uh, parties. So it started with an experiment. It's launched a great new partnership. And as far as we know, this kind of approach is, is still unique among research universities where a library and the university press are working so closely to make open access possible for scholarly work. So we're just, we're just delighted with how this has emerged. Gita, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yes, just that the MIT libraries have really taken a remarkable leadership role in supporting peer-reviewed open access book publishing, and that is extremely unusual um, as far as I know. Um, the collaboration that we have established with the libraries um, I think is really innovative as a model for how this can be done because it's a partnership between the press and the libraries and also in our case the MIT Press Bookstore which has really deep roots in the Cambridge community um, and that is a, a, a bookish community um, and so this partnership allows us to feature um, strong ideas authors in our series um, when their books are published and to um, help them start conversations both locally and uh, globally around the topics that we're covering in that series, data, AI, hacking, privacy, cities, social media, um, and so forth. And the libraries are really um, helping us to uh, promote these discussions, um, both on campus and off, through um, uh, library spaces, traditional book publication, author events, and publicity, and of course, through open access itself. So I would ask people who are interested to learn more about open access and uh, open peer review, there's an additional podcast on this series where I spoke to Catherine Ignazio and Lauren Klein, the authors of Data Feminism. And in that, they give their view of what it was like as authors to work with open peer review on an open access system. And I think it's fair to say that they've had a really good experience with it. Um, is that the, the sense that as far as you from the MIT Press, you've gotten the sense the other people who've worked with open access peer review, that they've also enjoyed it? Absolutely. Catherine and Lauren uh, were the first authors in uh, the Strong Ideas series to take us up on the offer to post a pre-publication manuscript on PubPub. And we posted this about a year ago, and their book is going to come out, Data Feminism will come out in the spring. Um, and they really took the initiative to invite a lot of their colleagues and uh, distant colleagues as well, scholars they respect, to engage with that manuscript, with individual chapters, and to give them comments on the PubPub platform. What I wanted to do was to run a traditional anonymous review, review process alongside that open review process so that I could ask um, reviewers of my choice 
um, the questions that I have about the manuscript and that I ask about pretty much all the manuscripts that we consider um, in order to get that feedback back to the authors as well. And so they were able to take all of these comments from both the open and the traditional review and really um, pretty much comprehensively revise and rewrite the book. So the version that will be published in book form, and again, will appear on PubPub in an open access edition as well, is going to be significantly revised from the one that we posted last fall. Um, and it's thanks to these two uh, review processes, which did provide um, really valuable feedback. So we've gotten a sense of what open access can mean for academic libraries as far as helping them uh, manage their resources even more efficiently because, you know, the dollars are always tight in any library system. And we've also got a little sense of what it's like for academic publishers to work with open access. But I would imagine, just like with anything new, there are pockets of resistance within your respective areas. I was wondering if you could give us a sense of maybe where that resistance is and how you address it. And Ellen, could I start with you? Sure, sure. I think... Um Resistance might be a strong word. I don't think we here in talking with our community um, uh, resistance to open access. I think what we do uh, experience uh, consistently is that there are these strong disciplinary differences with respect to open access. And these emerge out of the very different cultures of different disciplines and the publishers and publishing structures that support those disciplines and from incentives actually that differ across disciplines. Um, so just for example, physics we see is very open about sharing preprints for decades with the archives being the place that researchers go to share and read the literature. Uh, and many in that field that we've spoken with, they see the journal as really an archival vehicle and that's all. Um, other disciplines have long delays to publish in their journals and this has caused a, a culture of open sharing of working pa papers to flourish. Um, and that's its own form of open access in a way. Um, other fields have strong sensitivities about releasing information too early before it's fully peer-reviewed and vetted, given potential downfalls for public health or social impacts and un unintended consequences. And so these different fields have very different approaches and different senses of what versions should be uh, released when and where. So um, what we find is that we have to work very closely with, give, with the expectations, culture, and um, pragmatics of a particular discipline in, in advancing open access in ways that really support the scholars, support the science, support uh, the whole ecosystem. And we've seen recently this gets particularly complicated when looking beyond publications to, for example, sharing data. So it's a rich, a rich environment. And Gita, what are your thoughts? I would agree with what Ellen said, that we're... Um, uh, we're talking about distinct disciplinary cultures, and um, so I think it's not surprising that the embrace of open access varies um, from discipline to discipline, and that does reflect the unique histories and research programs in different fields. If you think about computer science as an example, there's a very vital open source tradition there that has to do with uh, the achievements of collaborative software development, right? So there's a real appreciation for what you can do um, when things are open. Um, and computer scientists are among the first to request open access as their preferred format for publishing both books and articles. 
Um, there are different benefits for those who work in science and social science fields. Um, they were some of the first to see the value of open data and of open article repositories, as Ellen mentioned, with archive and preprint servers. And I think that scholars in the humanities are um, seeing the benefits as well. They see the opportunity to extend the functionality of traditional book formats into the digital space where openness allows for all kinds of rich linking and interactivity. Um, so I think there are really distinct benefits to um, digital and to open um, for these different uh, scholarly communities. And, um, you know, in time, we hope to be able to take advantage of all of those different um, affordances of openness and of the digital environment. There are currently four titles in the Strong Ideas book series, and we've talked a little bit about one of them, Data Feminism, which is the other show that I produced this this uh, month about. Uh, could you talk about the other three titles? What could readers come to expect from them? One of the first two titles in the series was Joseph Regal's Hacking Life, and that's a really great study of life hacking as a movement um, and a practice that first world um, entitled people in the West are taking advantage of. And then we have another excellent book that came out um, this year in the Strong Ideas series called The Smart Enough City, and that's by Ben Green. And that's a look at smart technology in the urban context and how it could be a force for good, but also could be used as an extractive method to surveil citizens and gather data. And Ben is really arguing for um, a use of technology that's in line with our civic values and is not simply a means towards um, greater efficiency for uh, corporations and city planners. Um, and he's laying out a really um, intelligent approach for how to use that kind of technology in the urban context. And we have a book coming out um, just this fall called Sharonhood by Leah Plunkett, who teaches at the UNH Law School. And Leah is a privacy expert, and her concern is the media practices of adults, particularly parents and teachers and coaches and others with responsibility for kids, because the way that we are learning to share information about our children and the children uh, who trust us with their data on social media potentially has downstream effects that could uh, be negative for those kids. And she's urging us to think about these um, long-term implications of what we are sharing about children, everything from photos to stories about the trouble they get into and medical information, all kinds of things that we, we share on social media um, and websites about kids could potentially uh, be difficult to erase in the future. And Leah's really arguing for a vision of childhood as a place where kids can make mistakes and then move on from them without that kind of permanent record of everything they did, wrong or right. Those sound like really interesting topics. I, it it, it sounds like a really good in, introduction for the Strong Ideas series. Uh, but let's talk about all the other work. Are there ways for listeners uh, to follow the work you're doing? Ellen, how would they do that for you? So if you're interested in how libraries are supporting open access to scholarly works, uh, listeners can look at our website, libraries.mit.edu slash scholarly, 
we also have a site up that get, provides stories directly from uh, readers who've benefited from open access to MIT's research. That's at a site called oastories.mit.edu. Um, and uh, listeners may also want to follow the MIT News and MIT Libraries News websites uh, and blogs during Open Access Week later this month. Uh, because we expect to be releasing the final recommendations of MIT's Open Access Task Force, which has some really interesting expansions of MIT's idea of how to make science and scholarship open. And um, the libraries will certainly be uh, using those recommendations to guide our efforts uh, to continue to advance openness uh, to science and scholarship with the press and with, with others. Gita, is there anything you'd like to add? Yes, um, I would encourage your listeners to check our website regularly for journals and books um, in their areas of interest and to follow us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. Uh, we do support a very rich program of author events and talks to advance and inform discussions about science and technology, economics, education, business, environment and sustainability, and many, many other topics that might be relevant. So um, please check us out on social media as well as on our own website. Gita Manaktala and Ellen Finney, thanks so much for being on the MIT Press Podcast today. Thank thanks you. for having us. For more information about this and other titles, please visit our website at mitpress.mit.edu. Don't forget you can find the MIT Press on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks for listening to this episode of the MIT Press Podcast. Copyright 2019, the MIT Press, all rights reserved.